Welcome to the Family Goals Podcast with Davey Pollock and Pastor Jay. My name is Joel Howes, and the purpose of this podcast is to encourage you to grow closer to God, to strengthen your marriage, and to inspire your family to reach its highest potential. On this episode, we have a conversation with Kirk Herbstreet from ESPN College Game Day. Kirk was a quarterback for The Ohio State University from 1989 to 1993. He then joined ESPN in 1995 and has been one of the main faces of College Game Day for years. Kirk opens up about his upbringing and we get a little insight on his personal journey. Here's the conversation. Kirk Herbstreit joins us. Um, he, he just wrote a book with, with Gene Wojciechowski. It's called Outside the, or Out of the Pocket and um, Pastor Jay's holding it up. I, I've had many conversations with Kirk about parenting. I mean, I, we, we think alike. He's, he's a strong believer. Like we've, We've had many conversations back and forth about all kinds of things, but I, I do want to tell this story before we even get started. And Kirk's like, "Oh crap, no, no telling where it's going." Um, I, I, I'm at I'm at Fox SEC Gridiron Live. Have you ever heard of that, Pastor Jay? I have not heard of that. No, no one has in the world. And uh, this is this is like 12 years ago, and I literally get a phone call after and, and I knew Kirk from Ohio being in Ohio and we went to like Kenny Chesney concerts and we, we saw each other there and stuff and we had each other's number but I, I literally have a call a missed call and that missed call says Kirk Herbstreit and I'm like oh sweet and I, and I listened to the voicemail he's like hey dude you know I was watching you the tv and you, you do a pretty good job man you, you you I can tell you really love it and that's Kirk's thing Kirk loves the sport of college football more than anybody I've ever been around like he just he loves the game but he was like you should you should meet with ESPN that's why I'm at ESPN yeah. and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. So that's kind of the relationship. I just want to give you a backdrop and Kirk does that for lots of people. Like he, he always looks out for, he's always looks out for people and is always a great teammate. So that, that, that's the start of it. But Kirk writing this book and, and your dad and parenting and all the memories, like what, what went into it? How did it, how did it come about? Well, first, just to add to, you, to that story, I, I think the, the thing that um, I try to do and I, I, I I think it's, I try to teach my kids to do is I, I mean, you and I knew each other, but we weren't like friends the way we are now. We were more acquaintances and I'd always, I covered you as a player and respected, you know, the, the type of person you were, but more than anything, I think, and you, you know, you, whether you're doing this yet or eventually I think you'll do it yourself is when you see somebody in any line of work, I didn't ever look at you as a competitor, even though we're trying to do the same job. I looked at you as a guy who's, you know, you're done playing at the time or you're just kind of getting to the end of your, your career because of, of your injury and clearly had found something that you enjoyed doing. And I, I, I don't know where I, I might've been in a hotel, you know, sometimes after I call a game, it's, I have a hard time because adrenaline going to sleep. So I may flip on sports center or, or that pac 12 game or whatever. Somehow I, I stumbled into to that show and I just saw you talking and I was just like, you know, you look very natural doing it so I my thing was I wanted to offer encouragement to you and I think you know I think that's important to do for people you know and and you, you never know when somebody what that might do for somebody not not that you're doing it for that reason but I think you're just doing it because I don't care if it's the guy the custodian that's taking out the trash that's got headphones on and he's whistling and he's having a good day I'm going to reach out to that guy and pat him on the back and tell him how much I appreciate him and and Appreciate that he appreciates what he's doing. So I, I just think it's the right way to, to go about um, just living your life. But writing this book, you know, I, this was a challenge for me. I mean, I, I am not the most – David and I are very different personalities. David is very, like, you know, 
outgoing and, and very comfortable in being who he is. I'm more just naturally an introvert, you know, and so to write a book and to open up not just football and broadcasting, but to open up your life, you know, going back as far as you can remember and talking about your childhood and basically your journey on life. You know, it's not a how-to book. It's just my story. And I think my story is very different than the perception of who I am on TV. And I think people maybe been through some similar trials and tribulations that, that maybe I went through, you know, whether it's being super shy and not ever wanting to be called on in class because my face would turn really red and I'd get embarrassed. Um, or my parents going through a divorce when I was eight years old and my life and, and what I knew of it at eight years old was just completely, completely taken away from me. Uh, my dad, who was a, my superhero dad who played at Ohio State, coached with Woody and Bo, and he didn't handle um, kind of controversial subjects well. And my mom and he going through a divorce became a sensitive subject, so he would procrastinate and avoid uh, conflict. And because I lived with my mom, he consequently he, he avoided me and my siblings because we were with, living with my mom. So there's just a lot there to uncover and talk about. And I think the thing, I, the book came out in August. The thing I found, David, is, um, and which what I was hoping is people come up to me kind of crying because they've been through, uh, either they experienced similar stories or they're going through a divorce right now themselves. And they're, they're worried about their kids and what their kids are experiencing and and, um, you know, that's all I was really was hoping for is maybe the book would resonate with some of the stories that I've been through. And, you know, and then I got to college, you know, I don't know, David, if you were like this, if I didn't get a scholarship to go to Ohio State, I would have probably joined the Army or I don't know what, maybe the Marines. I, I really didn't have great grades. I didn't take high school serious. Um, my parents didn't have any money, so I, I wouldn't have been able to afford college. So that's why when we get into this NIL and, and college and transfer portal, man, I'm really passionate about uh, education and, and how it changed my life. Just that experience that I had uh, playing at Ohio State. I'm, I'm very appreciative, even though I didn't play it down in the NFL. I'm just very appreciative of my experience and the doors that, the, that that experience opened up for me. Because without that experience, man, who knows where I'd be uh, right now in my life. Kurt, I think I, I, I read your book and enjoy, enjoyed your book, and I think it's going to impact a lot of people. There's so many things in it that I didn't know about you because I, I was kind of like the guy that looks at Kirk Herbstreit. It's like, oh, he, he's the Ken doll. He was the captain of yeah. Ohio State, the quarterback. He's, he's on the ESPN College Game Day. He married the cheerleader. He has four good-looking boys. But to you, hear, Don't call him cute, please. I'm not going to call. Don't call. Him cute. <laughs> Don't do that. That that would be even more awkward than you did last time. So let's not call him cute. Yeah, I was on our last podcast. I was talking about how I'll text Pollock on game day, and I was making a joke. I say, "Oh, you're looking cute today," but I've never really said. That. <laughs> I've never really said that to Pollock, so I'm not why. But everybody's wearing me out about that. Th now. They should. That's yeah. not something you say. Anyways, yeah. continue. Continue. But anyway, when I was reading the, I didn't. You know, I just kind of look at you as a, he has the perfect life, but to read your story, you come from a broken family. Your parents were divorced at an early age. Both your parents remarried, and so you had stepmoms and stepdads. You moved a lot. I, I think it said you were in you know, seven different schools in eight years. And I think there's a lot yeah. of people that can relate to where you came from and then the success that you are. And I was thinking that, 
you said in the book, you said that nothing matters to me more than trying to be a good father. And I'm wondering if the relationship yeah. with you had with your dad and the, the, the family you had growing up maybe impacted the family that you wanted to have and the relationship that you now have with your kids. A hundred percent. You know, I, I think um, there are people that have, I think, really good um, stories, really good backgrounds on their story with their parents. They still have parents that are married, and they had an incredible example right in their home of, of, of a mom and a dad. And, and I, God, God bless those folks that, are, you know, that, that went through that experience. Unfortunately, in America right now, that, that would be you know, kind of the exception. I think you know, the divorce rate continues to climb, and there are broken families. There are single-parent families all over this country. And so that, that was my life. And you, know, you mentioned my parents remarrying. They both remarried for three or four years, and then so I lived with one of them. But I lived with the other one. Then they went, then they both ended up getting a divorce as well. Um, so a second divorce. So yeah, I had stepbrothers and sisters and stepmoms and dads kind of coming and going, and go back to all being an introvert. So sports became my my escape. I always loved sports, but sports and my friends became really my world. That, that was where I was all the time. Thank God, like my brother, he had a much tougher time. You know, a lot of times kids turn to different things. Um, I, I didn't have anger. I didn't have resentment. I was eight years old when, when I went through this initially. And I just was more of a survivor. I was more like with my dad. I didn't have resentment with my dad. Um, like I said, he was my, my hero. And then I was gone. And then I moved back with him. And my dad was just a guy that um, had a really hard time listening. And so to answer your question, for me, because I had such scars and pain from my relationship with my dad, not because of, again, that anger, like resentment, it was more sadness and more of an emptiness. So for me, I started to have kids of my own. You know, some people learn from their parents and, and what to do. And my dad was a good guy. He was like Richie Cunningham from Happy Days. He's a good guy. He wasn't abusive. So I learned a lot of good from him. But I also learned some things that, man, if I have kids of my own, I'm going to try to, to do this or, or do that. And again, I'm not a perfect dad at, at all, but I definitely, if my kids are talking to me and I'm in the middle of a conversation with you, I, it's like I'll drop, I could be in a live segment on Sports Center from my house. And if my kids say, hey, dad, I'm like, hold on real quick. I'm, you, you have my undivided attention because I, I didn't get that. And um, he didn't mean it. To, to intentionally do it. He just, he did it to everybody. And when you're his son and he's, he's Zeus to me and he does that, that that's painful. So yeah, I think you learn, you learn through the trials and tribulations and some of the pain and some of the good. And then when you have, uh, you know, kids of your own, you, you try to do the best that you can. And um, but now my kids will probably watch me and they'll probably take a few things away from the way I'm raising them. And, and do a few of the good and, and maybe change some of the bad that I'm doing. What, um, how did you handle, so you're, you're a, you're, a, you're Herb Street, you're, you're Herb Street now. So obviously things have changed with when it comes to raising your kids, but you know, you, you, you definitely get looked at in a different light, whether you like it or not. And it's not, yeah. and I know you, you don't necessarily like it. Um, but you have to raise yeah. your kids too, though, in this, in this atmosphere. So how have you handled, you know that because I know you've had to move, um, dealing with certain situations and move again. And, and by the way, he's back in 
back in Ohio, and that's why the the that's why the uh, Bengals are in the Super Bowl. He just took Kirk Herbstreit coming back. So. <laughs> but like, how how have you handled how have you handled that stuff? Uh, you don't. There, there's not a book on that that you can go and and, and find and, and try to read. You know, living in the public eye, especially when the, you know phones came out in like oh five oh six, and then cameras came out. Um, it's, it's just a reality of, of, uh, of living in the, in the public eye. It's one thing for you, you know, David, you've, you've dealt with that pretty much from high school on. It's one thing, you know, we kind of navigate and figure it out, but when you bring your wife into it or you bring your kids into it, uh, you know, even our parents really into it, you, you just have to, um, talk to them, coach them up, uh, explain to them, uh, things. My biggest thing with them was humility. I, I I'm, we obviously, we're no better than anybody else. You know, you get a little bit of attention. Um, your guy that came from very little uh, money or, you know, I never went on a, on a vacation in my life. And until so I got older and I made some money at ESPN, I started taking my family on vacation, but I just made sure my kids um, have always knew, always known to, uh, to treat people uh, with uh, incredible respect and um, people are going to say mean things about them, you know, because their dad didn't pick their team or whatever it might be. But, you know, when, when they're three and four, it's not like I'm trying to explain that to a 15-year-old. We talked openly when they were five and six and seven and eight and nine. We had a very, very open, you know, if we went somewhere and someone's doing like a stealth camera phone, you know, on, on our family, instead of just saying, hey, you mind coming over? Can I take a picture with you? I'd do that all day. But when they do the the, the stealth and the kids are like, dad, that guy's got his phone out. They started to kind of be like the eyes and the ears of, of people uh, watching, <laughs> but they just threw up with it. It's all they knew. But we left Ohio. Um, I decided to do that. Just when I started to realize probably like Athens and, and Georgia, David, you experienced this and I'm kind of immune to it now, but when it first started, I, I didn't enjoy even though it was a vocal minority of Ohio State fans, just the, 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 the nonsense that you had to deal with. And so I just thought it was best to, to for safety reasons and just to, to get out um, from that, that energy, I just decided to move down to Nashville, which wasn't too far, and it's a great town. Um, it wasn't the it city when I moved back in 2011 that it is now, but uh, it's become that. But I, I, I think it was a good move and a, and a decision just to kind of get off a little bit of a beaten path. And, and now, you know, you're much better at handling that than I am. I mean, I think you kind of lather up in that, you know, you, you enjoy it. You don't mind it at all. I three technique um, it. Yeah. You just, you just are like, bring it on. You know, like, you know, you, you're ready to just put on a hard hat and just fear somebody. Like if you pick Alabama to beat Georgia, I know you didn't this year, but if you do next year, and there's a there's that fraction of Georgia fans like man he's a traitor I can't stand him I always hated him you're like yeah baby you know you just love it <laughs> I'm like I again it's your wiring my wiring is like man I can't believe that they would think that you know like, like I try to reason with people on they're misunderstanding something or they're misrepresenting it um, so I. I've struggled through that. I, I've gotten to a point I think I'm much better because it's like anything else. You just kind of get numb to it. But I don't enjoy it. Um, and I definitely don't enjoy it for my kids. Um, but I, uh, that's, a, that's a tough one, David. Uh, and, and they're out on their own now. I mean, three of them are in college. And, Not Chad. Uh, I have one still, still at home. You know? Yeah, Chase still at the house. 
Kurt, one of the one of the God stories of your book or the God story in your life is the miracle of your your twins being born. And I think they were born on Father's Day. And then I, di- I didn't realize yep. that they they played football at Clemson. Uh, my son Jolin's here. One one of his best friends played on the team with them. Uh, Chase Bryce, he was the uh, backup quarterback. Yeah. But talk a little yeah. bit about the miracle of your kids being born. Uh, the doctor said they would never play football, and then that kind of how they ended up. You know, they're at the national championship game, and you're watching them. Well, my wife and I went in for week twenty checkup, and for people who don't know, you're, you're trying to get the forty weeks, and we thought we were just at, you know a normal pregnancy, and we went in for a checkup and found out that you know not only do we have twins, but that. Um, she had an issue right away. She, we didn't know at the time she had what's called incompetent cervix. And so she was going into labor at week 20. And, you know, obviously if, if she were to have the kids at week 20, they wouldn't have survived. So they immediately took her uh, up to the, the hospital and she was on bed rest. And, and t- as long as she could, she could not get out of the bed and she pack, I don't know what it's called, but she was actually tilted somewhat like this. So her feet were up and her head was down. And she did that every day, every night, um, until she lasted eight weeks. And so like 56, 60 days of, of, of fighting to keep the boys alive to give them a chance. And she's not and a standstill kind of person weeks. either, by the way. She's like always running around. No. Like she's like a marathon runner. Like she'll go, like she's crazy yeah. hyper. She's, she's hyperactive like crazy. Yeah. yeah. She's a workout like Pollock. She's like a freak. Like she, if she don't get a workout in, she like, one day she's like, you know, I got to get a workout in, you know, kind of thing. So for her to lay in uh, bed for that long, but it was like, like an athlete, it was like, I'm I'm on a mission. She would have laid there for, you know, nine months if she had to. And she lasted eight weeks. They were born two pounds each, which is, I I explained it in the book. I took, I could take my ring off my finger down their foot all the way up to their hip bone. That's how, how Mm. skinny their, their legs were. And um, a lot of kids that are born at 28 weeks as preemies, they don't make it or they have some issues, some, some issues as far as, you know, whether it's, they could be blind, they could be deaf, they could have cerebral palsy. It could be a number of issues. And, um, you know, we, we were very fortunate, you know, they, they got through that and we never really talked to them about it ever until I wrote this book. I, we never really, we never wanted them to feel like, cause they were always small, you know, they were always at like 10 or 15% in their in their age group and um and we just kind of raised them tough and and not to you know think that because they're small they have to be any different and they didn't really know any different and uh but yeah they're they're they are miracles uh definitely uh so incredibly blessed to have them and and uh you know writing that book it got pretty emotional because i had to read the book and to read that part of the book was pretty pretty tough the audio book to go through that and you know memories you just haven't thought about and they're 21 years old and you know what, what Allison went through and and to be able to you know they were in the NICU on the back end of that for another eight weeks so we couldn't take them home for eight weeks and so yeah uh, now they're 21 you mentioned they uh, both were at Clemson they were on that national championship team that ended up losing to Joey Burrow and and, uh, and LSU one of them after COVID decided he's kind of fallen out uh, out of love with the sport so he's transferred to Ohio State and the other one that stayed he's still there as a slot receiver uh, at Clemson. So yeah, uh, both doing well and, and, um, really proud of, of the, the, the type of men that they're becoming. 
I think this might blow some people's minds, but we've had a, we've had talks about this a lot. And one of the things I've been I've been pretty passionate about lately is is just youth league sports and the role it plays, the importance of it, but also the craziness of it. Um, talk about you as as a dad experiencing youth league sports, and and I think it'll it'll kind of blow your mind. Like he what out uninvolved Kirk was with a lot of this stuff as, as much as he knows, but just talk about how you view youth league sports and, and how you raise your kids with it. Well, I think it's an epidemic around the entire country. Um, I, I call it the Earl Woods effect on, on our generation of parenting. I think we all looked at Tiger Woods when he was three years old on the, whatever it was, Merv Griffin or whatever show he was on when he was hitting a golf ball and he became the Tiger Woods that we all found out like in the mid nineties. And everybody wanted to know about how is Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods. And then that video surfaced that he was three years old and his dad had him basically out swinging the golf club every single day. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying every parent or every dad, I think, looked at that and thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do with my son, whether it's golf or basketball or football or baseball. And I think they all have a, not a hope that they're going to go to Major League Baseball or the NFL. They know, like that eight-year-old, Lock, he's going, he's first pick overall in the draft. And every parent thinks that. And I think it, it was a really challenging thing for me to go through youth sports because not only with my own kids, but just to hear the nonsense in the stands um, and, and the way they would kind of get after their kid. And, you know, especially in baseball, I was just blown away. Like, you know, kids would be yelling at their parents through the gate, you know, Parents are yelling at their kid, you know, let alone yelling at the other uh, fans. And I'm just like, what? I had to go down the left field line and just kind of get away from it all just to, to get through a lot of those youth baseball years for me just because, um, you know, we got away from – when I was a kid and I loved baseball, baseball was probably my most natural sport. I just – you know, you had a blue T-shirt. We had a yellow T-shirt. We, you know, we had about two good players on our team. The guy in right field was like looking up, you know, and seeing what's going on. And then, you know, the game was over. And then we all ran to the concession stand and we got a Coke or whatever. And then we went to the creek and we jumped around the creek. It's like that movie Sandlot. And then at the end of the year, you know, you would take the two good players from every team, make a little all-star team, maybe play in a couple tournaments, and you were done. And now it's just become like we're starting hitting and, and uh, conditioning in January, you know, season's five, six months away. We're getting, we're getting this thing going right now. We're going to, it's only going to cost you $500 for the off season program. And and then we're going to do speed training. If you want to throw in another 300, we can work on your technique on the speed. And then, and as a parent, here's why it's an epidemic. You look around and you, and you're like, man, if all my, all my, my kids, friends are doing this and they're asking if dad, can I, I, all the other kids are doing it. And even though you don't think it's the right thing to do, you feel like, well, heck, I guess I got to do what everyone else is doing or my kids are going to be left behind. There's that sense of that feel. And so I think Little League sports have become more of a moneymaker on a a national level than they have become really educational and teaching and having fun. And, you know, what Pollock does with his youth football team, I mean, they're they're winning and and great. But I guarantee if we went out there – Pollock's talking to the, the, you know, whoever might be the guy that's struggling along. He's, man, he's encouraging him and having fun with him as much as he is the guy that's scoring all the touchdowns. And I think that gets lost. You know, this, this, youth sports is about teaching. 
It's about encouragement. It's about falling in love with it because the goal is for them to move down the line and get into middle school and high school and maybe beyond. So I think it's just a, a really toxic uh, setup right now. And I think it's every sport, hockey, soccer, basketball, football, baseball, it's everything. And um, I think it's a lot of these sports are becoming year round. Yep. And um, you know, if you don't, if you're not training basketball in June and July, you know, you're not playing on our team. And I think that, that also, I think is really hurting the sport. So yeah, I just kind of unplugged and just kind of, push my, my, myself back because I'm one of those guys that'll be really quiet. And then I'll want to get in a fight with somebody because they're doing, <laughs> such, such, they're doing such damage to the kids that, uh, I, I have a hard time, you know, being around it. And Pollock, you've seen that when I, when we get into subjects on, on the set sometimes, and I'll be usually pretty calm, but there's certain buttons that hit me that I, I, I get a little bit volatile. Yeah, one of the, one of the things you said in the book is you recommend kids playing multiple sports. What what are some other solutions to this epidemic of youth sports? I mean, what do you? How can we change it? Man, I, I wish I knew. Like I said, if you, if you think about this, the organizations that are putting on these tournaments, think about if you've experienced that, what that's like. Whether you whether you go to you know Atlanta for a big tournament or you go to Birmingham for a big tournament. And these tournaments have, you know, a lot of them have big reputations where these teams want to go and be a, be a part of them. And yet, you know, there's an entry fee and you look back at it and I just feel like it's not necessarily about the experience. It's more about making money for the organization. And then you look at the teams, you know, travel baseball used to actually be travel, you know, for the very select Mm -hmm. few. Now every baseball, I think, all there is is travel. Yeah, youth I mean, league you sports you are basically little, youth league, little yeah. league stinks now. Like you, you can't even get teams together yeah, little, in little league. Rec league, yeah. Little league is you can't feel the ground ball and throw it over to first. Yeah, you know that that's what little league has become, and I'm sure it's that way in basketball. I can't even imagine. We didn't play basketball. I can't imagine what AAU basketball is like. Like a little rec league where you're just going to go out and roll the ball out versus you know here's the other team that got nine uniforms and. You know, they're sponsored by Nike or whatever. It's, I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine uh, what's going on with the different leagues. You seven on seven with footballs becoming that way. Um, I don't know what the answer is because you have parents that think their kid, because they've been doing all this special training since they were five, they're going to the NFL or they're going to the NBA. So you have the parents that are driving a lot of it. And you got the organizations that are like, they're just throwing that out there. Like, hey, if you if you train with us, really good shot. Your kid's going to make it. They're like, okay, we're going to, and, and then, so they're making money. So I think it's become more about that again, then. And if you choose not to participate and you're going to do little league baseball, or you're going to do rec league basketball, really? That's not, I don't know if that's the answer because now you're playing against kids that, you know, maybe, maybe don't really love the game and maybe they're just out there. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Um, maybe Pollock can add that to his resume of things to do because, you know, Pollock's just a big kid. That, that's the answer <laughs> is leadership and finding guys that are in a leadership role, not just as like David has one team that he coaches or maybe two different uh, lead, uh, ages, but he has teams that he coaches. We need Pollock's to run organizations that demand this is how this entire organization 
is going to be run. This is here's our pro, here's our protocol. Here are our rules. If we can get if we can get people with vision to run these organizations, then that might be the only way to get it done. But right now, it's it's too much about parents trying to go to the NFL and MLB or whatever the, the you know the destination is, and organizations trying to make money off of that that goal of trying to make it to the to the very highest level. And I think. So it's a, I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how we can get out of it. I, I think we got to start with kids playing multiple sports, because what, what Kirk mentioned. What I think. I think that the reason why the college game is different than it was when I was growing up, because Kirk, they don't have an off season. They have, like, I. I have a good buddy. I, I will not mention his name. A good buddy that runs an organization has kids in Atlanta. I played football with him at the University of Georgia. We play his team every year in football. We always do. His record is, by the way, he's got a losing record against me. But that's, that's beside the point. He's got a losing record. He has all these kids in Atlanta on a travel team. So there's three or four million kids in Atlanta. Like, there's tons of kids in Atlanta versus North Oconee. We're all North Oconee. And he'll text me videos in May where they're running hills and running suicides and conditioning, like in May. And they're barking at him and yelling at him and getting him, trying to get him in shape. And then they go, you know, to summer, you know, to summer conditioning and they start practicing with helmets. And then they go through pads and they go through camp. Well, when the season's over, they go straight into the postseason national tournaments. Next thing you know, they're done in January. So we started in May. We go to January. Well, and then seven on seven starts in a couple months. So I, I think you rip the love out of the sport. Like, again... I'm not, I'm, not tooting, mm-hmm. I'm not tooting my horn. What made me different at Georgia, I loved the game. I loved practice. Like, I, I vividly remember walking by. I was a true freshman. This is the first time I got in trouble with the upperclassmen. Wasn't the last. But I'm walking by as a true freshman, and, and Stinch come, and all the guys are getting their ankles taped. And I literally walk by, and all they're doing is griping. They're griping. They're like 26 periods, inside drill. And I was like, yeah, yeah interesting. Might be a bad day. Walk by again. Next day, you hear griping, griping, griping. Third day, griping, griping, griping. I'm a freshman. Fourth day, I'm like, I literally looked at my, I, I had enough. I was like, what else do you have to do today? Like, you want to go to school? Like, you, you want to go to class? We get to practice and go play in front of 90,000 people. Like, we get to play football. This is what we do, dude. Like, and so I think at a young age, we're doing that now. Like, it's so beat into the ground that, Kids are doing it year round. That they don't. It's just. Hey, guess what? Too. If and if you lose in AAU basketball, you know what you got. Oh, you just go in the next level, lower level. Oh, then you can play in that level. You you lose again. You get you get a chance to play again. The games don't mean. You play so many games, they don't really mean anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's just we got so much of that going on that like instead of playing baseball, basketball, football, and getting a brain break and giving your body a break and doing something different with a different group of people, like. We stay in that one realm, and then by the time we're in high school, and when I got to college, there were so many people with so much more talent than me, but they were done. Like, they were tired of getting talked to. They were tired of being yelled at. They were li- and I was like, dude, you got so much talent. What are you doing? He's like, ah, I don't get it. I said, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, it's, it was crazy, but I, I think that's a, that's, interesting. that's a big part of it, man. That's interesting, yeah. And, and I do think, uh, like, Chase is an example. Chase has grown up, my, my youngest son, you know, the, the typical youngest of four brothers, he's had the advantage of playing with, with three older brothers, and he's always loved football and baseball. And he's the only one of my kids that plays quarterback. And you want to talk about all of what we're describing, you you, you put a kid at quarterback when he gets into eighth and ninth and Non-stop. 10th grade. Non-stop. 
oh my gosh. And it's almost like a game within a game. Like when David played or I played, like you played with David Green. I bet you if you went back and followed David Green's high school career, middle school and high school career, he just, he probably played football and then he played some basketball, maybe played baseball as a pitcher, as a lefty. And then he came around and, and his film kind of spoke for itself and he was good enough and he got recruited and he went on to play at Georgia and had a great career. That's, that's a very rare story today. Today it's, you know, you work out with this quarterback guru, whether it's there in, uh, in, in Athens or in that area or Atlanta or wherever. And, you know, you, they're tr- you, and there's some really good to that. I mean, th- these quarterbacks, as you know, David, they show up as a freshman. It's crazy. They're fine, finely tuned athletes. Oh. They can read coverage, footwork, mechanics. I mean, I showed up. I ran wishbone. I was running option. When I showed up to drop, all of a sudden I'm dropping seven steps back. I had no idea what I was doing for two or three years. These guys, they're doing that in eighth grade. Chase is already, I mean, he's doing this. I mean, it's incredible. So if and it's, Chase is now, it's like, Chase, you want to play baseball? And he's like, yeah, I want to play, but man, I, uh, uh. so he's, as we're speaking, he's feeling that as a ninth grader, that, that, that he's torn between, yeah, I want to play baseball, but man, I, I, not me, not, I'm out of it. He is saying, I really want to keep working at quarterback. And I'm trying to say, well, hey, man, you, you know, you're just, we're not doing summer crazy ball, just school ball. You can, you can still work at quarterback and, and play baseball. Cause like going back to our point, I want him to be a multiple sport guy. But man, it's, it's, it's a really interesting challenge um, at, at that specific position when it comes to trying to stay multi sport. And at the same time, do I want to keep working with my quarterback coach and da 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 da? So it's uh, such a different world, you know, than, than what I think what we all grew up in. Kurt, I know David's told me that you're uh, a person of faith. And our podcast, we want to inspire people to be the best parents we can be, to have strong families, but also encourage people spiritually. Uh, I'd love to hear, hear about your faith and, and, and why that's so important to you. Well, I think if you go back in, in my story, and everybody has their, their own story when it came to, you know, how they got introduced to, to Jesus and, and how, what age they were. I didn't, I didn't go to a, a, a church when I was a kid. We, we were the family because, think about it, when I was eight years old, we were dealing with divorce and moving, and, and so we never really had a home base. We were that family that would go to church at Easter and at Christmas and maybe a little bit here and there. I really didn't start to go to church until I was probably in like sixth or seventh grade where we'd start to go. And like I said, then I lived at that area for three years and then we ended up moving again. And for me, I, what I really tried to do differently with my kids, when I went to church, I didn't want to go to Sunday school because I didn't want to sit in another room where I didn't know a whole lot of kids and be the quiet kid sitting you know, in a, in a, in a Sunday school. Uh, so I had a bad taste in my mouth for it. It was a really bad way to get introduced. And I would just sit in the congregation and just sit in the church with my mom. And just that, that was my way of, of being around it. Now, to my mom's credit, she was really good uh, early in my life, explained to me about Christmas and why Christmas is special and not just about presents and Santa Claus the way 
most kids would get excited. She did a really good job of explaining to me when I was really young about um, Jesus and, and why Jesus is important in our lives. And so at a very early age, that kind of hooked me and made me curious. And then as I got older, I Pollock knows Chris Spielman. Chris Spielman is a, a guy that went through a lot with his wife. His wife, Stephanie, got diagnosed with, with breast cancer, fought it for, I want to say, 15 years off and on. And she ended up uh, passing away. But in the middle of that, Spiels was retiring. He had a neck injury too, I think, David. Yep, I think that ended his career. And um, he came back to Columbus. I think he was playing for maybe the Bills or the Browns near the end of his career. But he came back to Columbus to, to, with his to raise his family. And he had reached out to me about a Bible study group that, that he had on Monday nights at this place called Mayan Video. And he had invited me to come out to it. I really didn't know what to expect. And by then, you know, I, I'd done uh, some different things when I was at school at Ohio State, um, different organizations. I'd done, I, I just had a curiosity about it. And I, I found when I was in these Bible studies in college and I would go to, you know, the, the pregame, you know, the little chapel that we would have, I just felt peace when I, when I did that. And maybe didn't really understand what was happening, but I just felt um, like it just, things felt right on my inside. And then when I didn't do it, I felt an emptiness or just un, unsettled. But when I did do it, I felt like, like complete. And so, it, and when I would get away from it, 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 it just kept going back and forth. I was that guy in high school and college. And then Spiels asked me to come to this thing. And I had some curiosity. I think we were working out at the Woody Hayes facility at Ohio State. And I think I may have brought it up to him. And he's like, yeah, you should come to this thing. So I came and there was maybe about, I don't know, 30 men. I was probably in my early, early to mid twenties. There were 30 men that were probably in their mid forties or, or older. And they just were all successful businessmen. And they were all just sitting in this room and they all had their Bibles. And I didn't have mine the first time I went. And I, I just sat there and observed and watched, you know, they were, I think they were maybe breaking down acts or whatever it might've been. And, you know, one of the main guys would, would kind of talk about what, I don't want to call it the assignment or but what they were, what they were going to go over that week. And they just kind of read, read, uh, you know, the Bible a little bit. And then they just kind of went around the room and these big successful businessmen just started kind of opening up their hearts and just kind of talking about the word of that night and what, what they were taking away from it. And then when I left, I was just like, man, I can't wait for next Monday. And I didn't speak. I didn't do anything. I just, I just sat there. And then I went again, then I went again, then I went again. And I just started to become more of a regular uh, part of my regular routine. You know, I would do game day, travel wherever, and then I would come back and I would, on Monday night, I'd go over there. And I think that's where I really started to kind of feel a, a better understanding of, of, of the importance of God in my life. And, you know, I, was, I, was, I had young children at the time and I really wanted to raise them in a way where, it was different, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, that they, they had an appreciation for God and, and not guilt or not you have to, but more of you get to. You know, this is awesome. You know, come check this out and listen to this. And so that's, that was really how I wanted to raise my guys. And, and I, you know, just, just to be honest with you, I, I think that my, my part of my um, struggle in life is 
for four months out of my life, I, I, I lead a life where I'm on a treadmill at 15 miles an hour. And from August to January 12th, and David, you know, he lives on a treadmill probably 12 months out of the year, but I'm only on it for, for four months. And I'm going, I'm just trying to do everything I can. It's like I'm, you know, it's like a duck underneath the water going like this, but on top he's all calm. But I'm just preparing and doing all the calling games, wherever I need to be, I'm just trying to do it. And I feel like I'm in, in a better place with, you know, re- reading a daily devotional and, and it's part of my routine. And then when I get to these eight months of kind of downtime or off time, you know, isn't this so true in life? You, you, you have all this time and then you get a little bit lazy with things and you're not quite as consistent, you know, with, with every aspect of life, whether it's, you know, you know, you're reading your daily devotional, the Bible study, uh, eating right, exercise, doing whatever it is. So I think, I think that's the big challenge for me is to try to be consistent. You know, and, and I think I think we're all human. I mean, I, you know, Pastor, even you probably have seasons where you're, you know, really in a good spot. And there's probably times where even even you yeah. as a leader of yeah. a church even go through times where you're not quite, you know, where you need to be or want to be. So I'm not I used to really have shame in that. You know, I used to be like, man, I'm, I'm just not a Christian. I'm not I'm not a good Christian. You know, I'm, I, I don't I don't measure up. I really struggled with that. And at times I'll, I'll still let kind of that devil get into, into my mind or my soul. And, and so I, I try to fight against that. Um, but yeah, I, so I, I guess the best way to describe me is I, when I'm doing what I, I feel best in doing that helps me, it, it just settles me in every aspect of my life. And, and I realized the importance of that, you know, and, and, um, and just try to be a light. Yeah. You know, I feel like we're right now, we're in a really kind of broken world. And I do my best to, whatever way I can, try to be an example and, and try to be a positive light. Well, I think you you are, and I want to thank you for being such a positive role model uh, for so many people. I think mod- modeling for people, being being a good dad, being a good husband, and, uh, and role, just, he's and been a role model for me. Yeah, he's been a role model for me for sure. Davies told me all the time if, if it wasn't for you. He wouldn't be doing what he's doing. 100%. And, and he's so grateful for you and your friendship and the, the mentoring, but also having somebody else on the road that, you know, can hold him accountable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I feel like we had David, myself, and Reese. and You know, the, I was talking to John Jonathan Wiley. He works with us, too. And, you know, we should have him on here sometime talking about that. You know, you, you get around people who, you know, you, you want to talk to them about um, – about God or, or about the importance of, of that. Not because you have to do this just because you, you want to be an example for them and introduce them. We work with a lot of people, you know, at ESPN and I'm sure there's some, you never really, it's not something you bring up, you know, in a meeting room. Um, and I, I mean, I, there's times I'd really love to bring up with some of the guys that, that, um, that we work with about, you know, where they are with, with their faith. And that's something you know, maybe we're better in numbers at doing that. You know, like me and you, David, talking to certain we just guys. Let, we let Pastor Jay do it. That's what we, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, y'all are. Yeah, y'all, I think that's a good idea. Y'all have the platform. Well, this is a and, step, Kirk. I mean, you're yeah. doing it today. Us doing this. That's the only reason we did this podcast. It was to be parenting and, and faith. And, like, it's we've got plenty of avenues for Sports, and we're going to cover sports too, but that, we literally just want to encourage people. And we've talked about the things we've screwed up and the things we've done well and 
the list of screw ups is a lot longer than the list of things we do yeah. well. But um, no, we appreciate yeah. you having you on, man. So we can uh, we can share and talk and then rest up, bro. You know, you got you got a few more months of of chill and vacation, and then get back on that treadmill, bro. So so, Kurt, I have I have an <laughs> I have an important question for you. Uh, I'm a huge LSU fan, Joe Burrow fan. What? Oh yeah. Yeah, my dad went wait, to LSU. Wait, 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 wait. You're an LSU. You're an LSU fan. I'm an LSU fan. Yeah, yeah. Die hard. Die hard. Love, love Coach O. Love Joe Burrow. It's um, proof that not all pastors are perfect, Kirk. I mean, it's just it's a it's a proof, right? <laughs> living yeah. real living color. Yeah. So. Uh, oh. So so Joe Burrow's led the Bengals to the uh, Super Bowl, but Dave and I are, are debating here. He actually played for Cincinnati, and you're from Ohio. So is it the Cincinnati Bengals or is it the Cincinnati Bengals? What do you say? I say Bengals. I say Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals. Bengals? Yeah, Bengals. I, I don't think I say Bengals. He doesn't say Bengals. Like, like, I, I don't think I say Bengals. Like, I think I say Bengals. It's Bengals. Did bangles. you hear it? <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, who did I play for? Just say it. The Bengals. 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 The Bengals. Thank you. Yeah. We appreciate right, let me, that. Let me just say this. <laughs> let, me just say, let, me, let me just say this about what Joe Burrow has done. The winning is great. David Pollock lived this. I've followed the Bengals since the late 70s with Kenny Anderson and Isaac Curtis. They, what, what Joe Burrow has done, and I hate to put it all on him, but – the Bengals have been one of the worst-run organizations in professional sports. I'm talking NHL, MLB, NBA, NFL for the last 30 years. When players get drafted there, it's almost like a like it's like a black hole that's where you I, just go and did, disappear. Man. That's what I did when I got drafted. Honestly, yeah. Honestly, it 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 it, it takes great players and just destroys them. So. For 30 years. So they're in the Super Bowl, and that's exciting. I'm living here in Cincinnati. They're, this place is going crazy. I don't think they knew the Bengals were here until this year. I mean, they're going absolutely nuts. <laughs> but he has made them cool. That's what blows me away. He is. That's how powerful Joey Burrow is. Is He has made that uniform and that hat cool. In social media, that's a hard, That's the most powerful thing to me that he's done. He and Jamar Chase, both your LSU guys, mm-hmm. have made the Cincinnati Bengals logo cool with with the, the social media world that we live in. That says more to me than anything that he'll ever do. He can win the Super Bowl, but it's, it's what he's done to an organization that had no idea of what they didn't know what the word cool was. And this dude has made them cool. I mean, that, that that's that, that's unfathomable that it, that it, one or two players could make that happen, but they've done it. Can't so, put, can't put a price, honestly, price tag on that either. I I honestly think they're going to win the game. Like I I'm, I'm not like they should win the game if they if I don't. Can you imagine Joe Burrow losing the Super Bowl? I just can't yeah. imagine. He's a winner. He, he yeah. really is. He he has that it factor. And congratulations, by the way, to the Georgia Bulldogs um, winning that national championship. And David, who predicted it in August on the air in Atlanta in week zero, 
we we all had to pick our final four, and I'm like, you know, pick one from the SEC. You sometimes two, but not this. One in the SEC, one in the Big Ten. Clemson's a given, and not the Pac-12. So, is it going to be Notre Dame or is it going to be a Big 12 team? That, that that was where my brain was. No, 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 not David. David said he's going to go. Alabama's going to beat Georgia in the Final Four or in the SEC. And then they're going to rematch in the not in the final four in the national championship, and then Georgia will beat Alabama and they'll win the national championship. I'm like, what? Get out of here! You're crazy. <laughs> and that's exactly yeah. what happened. And he doesn't do that because he's trying to make Georgia fans happy, as we know. He just that's what he thought would happen, and it and it did. But man, how cool for Georgia fans! And we don't. I don't pull for teams um, when you're calling a game or doing what we do. But it was something when the, when the dust settled, it was something really cool about seeing Georgia with that team. I just became such a big fan of their team because of the, the brotherhood that they had and the love that they had for one another. The best team in the country in 2021 won the national championship. And I'm, I'm just happy for, for Kirby and, and for his coaches and especially the players and guys like David who, who laid the, the groundwork and going back to Herschel Walker and, all the great players that they've had there. It's one of the great programs in the country, and they they finally got their title. It's been a long time, so I'm glad I'm glad they got it. But I don't think they're going to have to wait much longer to get another one. Not like they did. Uh, not 41 not like years they did this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but man, congrats! And I, if there's anything to learn from that Georgia team, it's that brotherhood. Can you duplicate that? Because they're always going to be talented. But there was a sequence of, of uh, in that play. A lot of people talked about it. We talked about it in the game when the Kobe Dean got after uh, Tyndall yep. because he, he, he got into, you know, he affected him in coverage. And he's like, he didn't like curse him out. He just was like, like, come on, man. And then the very next play, he comes up with a sack. Yep. And then he loved on him. I was like, those two plays wrap up the entire 21 season for me for Georgia right there. Well, we appreciate you, man. We appreciate you sharing your story, um, some of your personal stuff with your backgrounds. And I guarantee you, just like you've heard from people with your book, um, it'll impact people's lives in a positive way. And uh, appreciate you, big homie. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll see each other soon. Pastor, it's great to hang out and talk to you. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Thank you so much, Kurt. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's Family Goals podcast with Davey Pollock and Pastor Jay. It was great to get to know Kirk on more of a personal level after watching him so many Saturday mornings over the years. Coming from a broken family, Kirk walks us through his childhood, and it's cool to see how he uses that to fuel his desire to be more present and available for his kids, even through his super busy schedule. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week.